This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Ingle Company, a podcast for like-minded people who want to learn to make smart investment decisions. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm here with my good friend, Sophie. Hey Mads, (laughs) we have such an informative topic today all around the slightly complicated topic of tax. Slightly complicated. Slightly complicated. But before we start today's episode, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wandri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. So, Maddie, happy nearly end of financial (laughs) year. Considering you work in an accounting firm, I can imagine it'd be quite hectic at the moment. Do you know I literally just saying in my head, celebrate good <laughs> But we don't get a holiday. It's not like summer, Christmas. It's no, like, but it's like end of financial year parties is a thing. Yeah, but we're yeah. like in COVID, that's a thing. <laughs> yes, look, it is a bit of a crazy time of year. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. But it's also an exciting time because the everyday people like me, not like you... <laughs> Are starting to think about submitting our tax returns. Um, I'm pretty sure I still have to submit a tax return, actually. <laughs> yeah, but like you're an accountant. So like- I'm not an accountant. <laughs> anyway, obviously around tax time, there are quite a few things to consider and we understand that it can be a pretty daunting and confusing topic. So today we're going to give a overview of tax that's all around tax and investing. But before we jump into today's chat, there are a couple of terms that we want to define so that the conversation is a little bit easier to follow. What's that? The first term that you might hear Emma talk about is franked dividends and unfranked dividends. So just like when we pay tax on our income, companies have to pay tax too, obviously, because that would be so unfair if they didn't have to. (laughs) But the thing is, if they pay tax, pay you a dividend, and then you pay tax, that same piece of income is being taxed twice. And that just ain't fair. That just ain't fair. (laughs) So to avoid this, we have franking. So if your dividend is franked, this means that the company has already paid tax on your income. So to avoid double taxation, you are issued a franking credit. Long story short, if you receive a franking credit, it may reduce the amount of tax that you have to pay on your dividend income. Like a credit note. Exactly. So what is unfranked dividend? If your dividend is unfranked, no tax has already been paid on that income. So the dividend simply becomes part of your income and you pay tax on that amount at your normal tax rate. So your 1K dividend payment just gets added to, let's say, your 60K salary and your income becomes 61K and you pay your normal tax rate. 
This can be a bit confusing with all these words. We have an example on our Instagram page, which has some numbers, which will explain it better. So head there if you're still confused. By the way, Sophie wrote that example and I don't know how much dividend payments she's getting paid, but 1K is a very nice dividend. (laughs) Another term you're going to be hearing is DRP. DRP stands for Dividend Reinvestment Plan, and we will talk about this more in the episode. And now over to our chat with Emma. Today, we are joined by Emma Bowdler. Emma is an award-winning international entrepreneur and founder of The Women's Accountant, an accounting firm built to help women kick some serious goals in business. It's Emma's way of using her knowledge and experience to cut the accounting BS and support other boss ladies in their business journeys. Having run a successful accounting firm for many years, Emma is here to help us navigate the intersection of tax and investing so we can all feel more comfortable and confident heading into end of financial year. Welcome, Emma. Thanks for having me, Maddie. We're so excited to be chatting with you today. This episode is highly requested as we are going towards end of financial year. But we wanted to know first, you've been working as an accountant for a while. So what gave you the inspiration to start The Women's Accountant? Great question, Sophie. Yeah, you're right. I've been in a public practice since 2006 and it was at a time in my life where I found myself as a single mum to two little girls. So it was a case of go and get an education and keep the food on the table or just continue to struggle. So I put myself through, <laughs> I know, crazy. I put myself through a accounting degree as a mature age student and I was working in a local accountancy practice at the time. And, you know, it was hard work, but six years studying externally, I got that piece of paper when my eldest son was three months old. So if you know our area, it is rich with uh, professionals and lots and lots of accountancy practices. And I didn't want to do something that was same, same. So I had a look at my own client base and they were predominantly women, women in business, women with families, women with children. So I was having a beer, watching the Friday night football with my husband. And I said to him, I think I'm going to brand myself as a women's accountant. And he said to me, why would you do that, Em? You're cutting out half the population. I yeah. said, yeah, but I think it's needed. You need a niche. You need your women niche. understand women. It, I hit a niche and what started as a brand grew into a fully-fledged practice within three months. And with, you know, things like social media and all of those types of things, I was able to to build a brand that's now followed nationally across Australia with other amazing women in all parts of the country. So it was pretty cool. That is very cool. I know when I found it, I was very excited. (laughs) So um, really simply to get us started, can you, I guess, explain to us what is tax in relation to investing and why do we have to pay it? The old question of, you know, it's a case of, you know, you earn that money really, really, you work hard to get it and then you've got to give it to the government. So it's one of those things, it's like employment income, you know, income that we earn, we have to pay tax on and investing is no different. So when I think about investment income, I think of income that is passive that we don't need to get up at eight o'clock in the morning and finish at five o'clock in the afternoon and put in those big hours for. So it just forms part of our taxable income. And, you know, whether you're receiving dividends via DRP or 
all those types of things, it is classed as income and it does need to be included in your end of financial year tax return. So a term that comes up quite a bit when we talk about tax is tax bracket. So I wanted to know if you could explain to us, you know, what that is and how can we find out what bracket we fall into, especially when considering that passive investment income as well? Yeah, great question, Sophie. And it's not, it's, you know, people often say to me, how much tax do I have to pay on my investment income? And there is no one short answer. So when we think about what taxable income is and what the government assesses being our assessable income, we look at income from all sources. So currently, if you are a resident for tax purposes here in Australia, up to 18200 you don't pay any tax at all. So keeping in mind that's all of your taxable income, between 45000 and 120000 you pay 32.5 cents in the dollar. So when you are looking at, at all of those sources, it's really important to have a look at and just to keep a track of what that gross income might be and which tax bracket you fall into. Quite often I see people who you know are investing in shares and they might be buying and selling, which is capital gains tax, which we'll talk about later. But quite often they, they don't take those things into consideration when we are looking at tax brackets. So that is really important just to keep that in mind. So, yeah, if you jump onto the ATO website, all of the tax brackets are there and it, yeah, it has just been lifted up to that 45000 for that, that lower tax bracket too, which is great. Yeah, that is great. So with tax time approaching, we do have a lot of our audience who have only started investing in the last 12 months or so, which is fantastic. But as a result, we have had a lot of questions from our community about this topic. So today our questions are coming straight from you, our listeners. And Em, you are here to help us really try and get our heads around everything that we need to know. So first question from our community is from Andrew. And he says, I've been receiving dividends. Do I need to declare them in my tax return? Andrew, absolutely you do. You know, when we think about dividends, it's often it's often made up of three components. So if you actually take a look and have a look at that dividend slip, you might see there might be an unfranked dividend amount, there might be a franked dividend amount, and then often there's a franking credit. So what that means is when the company pays the dividend to you, if it's an unfranked amount, it means there's no franking credits attached. So that's really important. So rather than getting a credit attached to it, you will pay tax on that entire amount. The franked amount is the component that is attributed to a franking credit. So when the company pays that to you, the company's already paid tax on your behalf and you get a credit back for what the company has paid in tax. And that's what we call as a franking credit. So the way that works is those three components will all go into your tax return. But if there are franking credits that are attributed to that dividend, you will get a credit for whatever that tax might be based on that amount. If you have things like computer share or or those types of platforms, Often the, the dividend slips are emailed to you. So typically here in Australia, dividends are often paid twice yearly. D- depending on the company, you might see one in July and you might see one in March or April. 
But normally that would be correspondence coming directly from link market services or from computer share and is what we call a dividend slip. So something that's really important to remember with dividend slips, if you have a look on that piece of paper, there will be two dates listed. So one will say the record date so that is the date that the company actually declares the dividend. The second date on there is the date that is paid. So why is that important? The date paid is the date in which that dividend needs to be declared in your tax return. So if we think of a company who has declared a dividend on the 30th of June, 2021, but it's not paid until the 7th of July, 2021, that dividend is going to fall into next financial year and not into this financial year. So sometimes I do see people who, you know, they've received this thing in advance and they think it's got to go into this year, but in actual fact, it's got to go into next. Okay, makes sense. Thank you. So you are talking about the franking credits. So if your dividend is franked, you get a franking credit. Are these paid to you automatically? No, they're not. They're not. It is something that you can only get back via doing your tax return. Or if you are, you know, if you have got, you know, lots of investments where you don't have other income, you can actually do another form just to get those franking credits back, depending on what your taxable income is. So how much is a, is a franking credit? Typically for our big companies, it's 30%. So, you know, if they if they give a dividend that, you know, is $100, you know, you might get a 30%, you know, uh, flanking credit attached to that. So, um, Rob has asked, is there a centralised system that knows how much dividend income I've received or do I need to keep track of this myself? Yeah, that's a really great question. And that's the thing about the ATO Generally, they know more about you than you probably know about yourself. So, you know, there is this thing that we use quite regularly uh, in in preparing tax returns for people, and it's called a pre-fill report. So, when the companies, um, you know, announce what they're giving, and you know, all of their side of things is reconciled, they actually forward that information through to the ATO. So. Quite often, if you've listed your tax file number with that company and with that shareholding, that will fall through to the the ATO. But it's always really important to make sure you are keeping those dividend slips. Uh, just this week, there was a, a big company that issued, I think it was 72,000, uh, the annual company return, uh, what do you call it, the annual statement from a from one particular company, everything that they'd issued was incorrect and everything the ATO had was incorrect. So it's really important to make sure you cross-reference that information against what the ATO does have because it does, you know, people are only human and they do make mistakes. So definitely keep those source documents as you do, you know, head into tax time. Okay, so when we earn dividends and we receive all of those letters, it's a good idea to just file these letters away and then pull them out when we get to tax time. We can keep track of all of that income that we have received. It's a really, really great idea, particularly if there's DRPs, Maddie. And, you know, people often ask me, how do I, you know, keep these records? Do I need to keep them for, for so long? You know, often tax receipts only need to be kept for five years, but the difference of that is is assets um, and, and we're talking, you know, specifically about shares. It would be my recommendation to those people who are just starting out is to make sure you keep those those documents from the very first day you buy them. As an accountant, it 
makes my heart sing when a client comes to me and they've <laughs> sold sold something and they have got the full history of you know what's happened with those shares, whether it's mergers, whether it's buyouts, whether it's DRPs. It makes my job and every accountant's job so much easier just by keeping those records. Can we just quickly clarify, because you've mentioned it a couple of times, what is DRP? What does that stand for? Oh, sorry. Yeah, great question. So that's your dividend re- reinvestment plan. So quite often where people, um, you know, they they opt to buy into shares, a lot of companies offer what we call a dividend reinvestment plan. So what that means is instead of receiving the physical cash for the dividends that are paid out, that person chooses to use that money to get more shares in that company. So instead of outlaying that out of their pocket, they just, you know, say, you can keep my dividend, but you can just give me more shares in your company. So in a normal situation, when we get paid dividends, we receive a letter or a statement outlining what the dividends paid are. So what happens if it is DRP? Do you still get a letter? And how do you sort of keep track of that for tax purposes? Yeah, they do. They do still issue a letter and quite often it's on the bottom. I know National do theirs on the back. But quite often it says, you know, if you've received a, you know, $300 worth of dividend, we've reinvested that for you and here's an additional four shares in this company. So it is all listed on there. When we talk about, you know, how we can keep those records, everybody's different. There's a load of different programs out there that you can use. Um, If you're using a broker, the broker software often look after that for you. But if you're a little bit old school like me, I like to have mine in an Excel spreadsheet. So every company has a different tab. And just on that, I record when when I've purchased, when the DRPs have been issued and how much they've been issued for. Now, we might move into the second form of income that we talk about when we're talking about investing and tax, which is capital gains. So this is obviously when you sell an investment and you've made a profit um, or an investment or an asset and you've made a made a profit off that. So another one of our community members, Kelly, has asked, do you need to declare capital gains income? Great question. And absolutely, just like everything, if you're making money, the government are going to have their hand out to take a, a chunk of that. So CGT is is what we call it here in the accounting world, stands for capital gains tax. So just as as you've said there, Sophie, when we are buying and selling shares and they're held on capital accounts, when we sell, it triggers what we call a capital gain. So let's say, for instance, you have bought shares for $5,000. And in three years' time, you've sold them for 10. So the difference between the sell price and the purchase price is $5,000. And that's what we say is the capital gain. So there's a couple of things to consider when we are selling uh, any kind of asset is the contract date. So the contract date is actually the date that you declare uh, that income. So I see this quite regularly, particularly with uh, investment properties. Somebody might sell uh, something on the 30th of June, but the income's not received until August. Really important to know that that income needs to be declared on the contract date. And if you have a look at you know things like Comsec or, or any of those reports where you are buying and selling, you'll have what you call a trade date. So trade date and settlement date are different. So that's what you'll need to you know consider there. 
So what, how do we tax the capital gain? So there's a couple of things that you need to remember. And what we, uh, you can actually discount a capital gain. So in the scenario just then when I spoke about, you know, buying something for 5000 and selling it for 10000 we make a gain of $5,000. Now, if you have held that asset for more than 12 months, you can actually discount that capital gain by 50%, which means you only pay tax on $2,500. Quite often, if you know it's a really great share and you've made that money really quickly, you might go, okay, well, I've bought these shares today for $5,000. I'm selling them next month for $10,000. I've made $5,000 on this. Because you've held that asset for less than 12 months, you will pay tax on the full capital gain, in this case being $5,000. So just make sure you keep that in mind, particularly when you're new, you might be buying and selling quickly because you're making a few wins and, and that's how it goes. But just keep in mind, if you do that, you will pay tax on the whole lot. So just to summarize, if you've held the investment for more than 12 months, you're only taxed on half of the capital gain or half the profit that you made. But if you sell the investment within 12 months, then the full capital gain or profit will be taxed at your income tax rate. Correct. That's absolutely correct. Okay. So we've talked about capital gains. What if I sell my shares for a loss? Hopefully we're not doing that, but what if? (laughs) It happens. It happens, Maddie. So capital losses um, are a little bit different in the sense that if you have a capital loss, you just have a capital loss. It can't be offset against other income. It will just be, it will stay in your tax return and be carried forward until you sell another asset that potentially makes money. And then you can offset those capital losses against your capital gains tax. Nobody wants to be in that situation, but it does happen. So what about, you know, we've bought, we've talked about the 12 months, um, you know, selling prior or selling after, but what if I'm holding shares and the amount has gone up, but I actually haven't sold any shares yet? Is that still considered capital gains income? No, great, great question. And this is the one that the ATO won't get hold of, particularly holding as an individual. If the share price fluctuates during the year, and but you still physically hold that asset, tax is only triggered on a sale. So there should be no issues you know, around the prices. And that's what we want to see is share prices going up for sure. Finally, something that the ATO doesn't know about. <laughs> so we are going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back to chat more about tax and investing. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So to finish off today, we were going to ask you, you know, a lot of people have obviously started investing and they might want some more advice. What are the benefits of seeing a tax accountant slash can you submit, you know, the tax on your own? Can you do this by yourself? Yeah, you can, you know, and it depends on the level of investment. I think the benefit, and of course, I'm going to spruik my own services here because this is my bread and butter. But I guess the the benefit of using an accountant is, you know, we, we've got the the ability, I guess, to, to look at your situation and make sure we've got everything that we need to submit to the ATO on your behalf. So, you know, sometimes, you know, if the dividend's missed or, or whatever, it's that cross-checking between your accountant, between your own records and, and really doing that. Um, the thing that an accountant can't do unless they have a financial services license is, is give financial advice. So I guess, you know, when you are looking for those advisors, just make sure, you know, if you are going to a financial planner or an accountant or whatever, that they do have the qualifications that they they have to be able to do what they can do. We used to be able to do some levels of financial planning in what we did, but the ATO took that away a couple of years ago, so we can no longer do that. <laughs> but certainly from a tax perspective, you know, I, and I guess that's the, the a benefit of having an accountant is if you are looking to sell something, you can take that to your accountant before that happens and say, hey, what do you think the tax implications of selling this are going to be? So when we spoke about timing before, that's really important too. Have a look with your accountant before you do it. Well, Em, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us to get our heads around what can be a pretty complicated and confusing topic. So we really appreciate your time. If someone wants to find out more about you or the women's accountant and the kind of work that you're doing, is there anything that you want to plug or anywhere that we should send them to check you out? Yeah, great question. So website is obviously always the always the great one. So thewomensaccountant.com.au, you'll find us there. We are on Instagram at the women's accountant as well as on Facebook too. And you know, if you wanted to connect with me directly, you can search me on LinkedIn. That was a really great chat with Emma. She really broke down things a lot, didn't she? Thank goodness for Emma, honestly. (laughs) No, very simple and easy to follow. Such a confusing topic and she broke it down beautifully. Yes. Before we round out today's episode, we have spoken a lot on our podcast about investing globally for purposes of diversification. So obviously there's also going to be tax implications for investing internationally, correct? Yes, correct. So we do just want to caveat this part of the conversation about international investing by saying that every country has different tax laws. So when we're trying to discuss the tax implications of investing internationally, there are absolutely no hard and fast rules. Nope. So, <laughs> so They're not hard you, or fast. They're, they're slow and boring. Hard nor fast. <laughs> so if you are investing in a lot of different countries or just any different countries really, then advice from a tax professional who specializes in this area isn't a bad idea. 
But we did have some questions from the community about international tax. So let's jump in. The first one, Mads, Liv asked, do you have to declare foreign investments in your tax return? The answer is yes. So if you are an Australian resident for tax purposes, you must declare any foreign income earned from anywhere around the world. So to give an example, let's say you have shares in Disney, which is listed in the US. And again, Sophie's very rich example of earning $2,000 of dividend income. I'm manifesting. (laughs) (laughs) Wishful thinking. This $2,000 needs to be declared in your Australian income tax return. The same applies if you sell your Disney shares and make a capital gain, you'll need to declare the profit. Cool. Got it. So what about ETFs? I own an ETF that I bought on the ASX, but it has exposure to global companies. Yes, this was a common run because a lot of people have been buying ETFs and you do you might have exposure, let's say, in the US to your Amazon or Facebook or whatever else. But if the ETF is purchased on the ASX, so the Australian Stock Exchange, then you are subject to Australian taxation laws. And Woo-hoo. you, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> yay tax! <laughs> no Australian tax. Okay, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so whether you receive a dividend from this ETF or you sell some of the ETF and, and get capital gains, or, or even if you sell it and have capital losses, either these gains or losses need to be declared in your tax return. Another question that someone sent us via Instagram, so if, is if I've invested internationally, do I pay tax in the other country? And if I have to declare it on my tax return, doesn't that mean I'll pay tax twice? Well, as we said before, you do need to be declaring that tax in your Australian tax return, but there are cases where you might be taxed in the other country as well where you're investing, and this is known as um, judicial double taxation, which is a huge word. Yes, sorry. Judicial double taxation. Yes. What is that, please? That's where the same taxpayer, so let's just say you as the example, is taxed in two jurisdictions, so in this case two countries on the same income or profits. Okay, so the good news is, is that Australia has arrangements with some countries so that we are not taxed twice. But if you want to find out more info on this, you can go to the Treasury website and find out more about the actual tax treaty our government has with any country that you want to invest in. And now the last one, which I just found the best, (laughs) is nobody's going to know. How will Australia know that you have made foreign income? How can they track that? That is the question. Look, the ATO has deals with lots of countries. The ATO, they know everything. So you can't tax evade. Yeah. Look, official YIGC policy, I would say no tax evasion here. Yeah. And they're going to know. They're going to know. So as we've discussed over the last couple of minutes, every country has different tax laws. So just make sure before investing in other countries, you do some research and understand how it's going to affect you. Now, the final question that we're going to address is just in the Bitcoin space. And we're not <laughs> going to yeah, we're not gonna linger too much because- This is our first time talking about crypto on podcast. Yes. And for good reason. <laughs> So (laughs) the ATO has recently confirmed that any cryptocurrency will be taxed just like any other asset and is therefore subject to capital gains tax. This also applies for the disposal of any NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So if you've heard about like the art or like swapping of like 
cart like baseball things i don't really know about them well <laughs> but that's what the nfts are apparently cool 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 <laughs> so we did have one member ask us if you are trading frequently which often seems to be the case with crypto wouldn't know myself <laughs> how do you calculate the overall amounts that you've made now i've got to be honest this is the kind of thing that if you are going to be the type of trader who is buying and selling frequently, the onus really is on you yeah. to be tracking this. Yeah. So if you're buying, you know, one day, selling the next, buying the next day, there's no, I don't think there's a magical program. There might be a magical program that tracks that that we don't know about. But seriously, you need to be tracking those figures and you need to keep all that documentation. At the end of the day, when you do your tax return, your signature is going on the end of that and you need to be responsible to be putting the right information in there. That is right. So I would say as a rule of thumb, when it comes to tax and investing, just make sure you keep all your documentation. I think the ASX can send you a fair bit and you can rely on them to an extent to sort of double check your information. But it's so important that you are keeping your own records of what you're buying and selling, your dividend statements and any other documentation that you're receiving. All those pesky letters. (laughs) So Mads, do you have a way of tracking your tax yourself? Yeah. So when we actually reached out to our community about this, a lot of people came back to us and said that they're using ShareSite. So I've been trying that out. It's a program. I think up to 10 holdings, it's free. So I've been testing out ShareSite. What about you? I'm a classic um, Excel gal. I use it actually on Google Docs, like Google Mm. Excel, because it means that you can access it on any computer anywhere for that information you can update it like real time on your phone whatever else not that i'm a day trader and i'm updating it that often Mm. but it's just always accessible yeah look i think key message is keep track of what you're doing keep all those letters that you get and then come tax time everything will be peachy that's all from us today we hope that you have found this episode informative in some way (laughs) Happy end of financial year. Happy end of financial year, Sophie. We'll see you next week. <laughs> You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people together. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.